Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. You're listening to The Love of Learning, the long-awaited last episode in the Defining Education series. You'll hear the phrases love of learning and lifelong learners a lot in homeschooling circles, and with good reason. You see, this is the aim of education. We want, at the end of the day, our children to be endlessly curious and to be able to know how to find the information that they need to be able to accomplish anything they want in life. And they're going to be able to do that when they have a love and a passion for learning. And with that passion comes a lifelong opportunity to learn and grow and become more. I remember it distinctly. It was the fall day in the beginning of my fifth grade year. There was a group of maybe eight of us around the table and the afternoon sunlight was pouring in through the glass door and just drenching the entire project with enthusiasm. Or maybe that was just me. It was one of those rare instances when everyone was collaborating and tossing ideas back and forth, arguing and reaching new conclusions, encouraging each other and helping the shy students feel included. We were completely absorbed in it smiling, laughing, and one by one, little light bulbs were going off over our head, ding, 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 with just pure joy of discovery. We had art supplies everywhere, and I remember thinking our work could change the world if we just had a little more time. You see, I saw the pain on my teacher's face when he told us it was time to clean up. We had a lineup to go to an assembly where we would be manipulated into selling wrapping paper to fund our school's deficit. The funny thing is, I don't remember what the project was about. Knowing him, it was probably about climate change or recycling. He was such a tree hugger, I became a vegan for two years after being under his influence. But it really didn't matter. I remember what I felt. And what I felt was, I love learning. I am smart and capable, and this is fascinating. So let's start off by defining a love of learning. Learning is acquiring new knowledge and skills, which is naturally intrinsically motivating. The reward receptors in our minds fire off as we learn new things. Our minds are stimulated by novelty, and as we learn, the neurons in our brains form new connections. Learning more deeply about a subject or through repetition strengthens those neural pathways, making them more and more efficient. Feeling proficient at something makes us feel valued, important, and authoritative. It increases our ability to connect with others and to contribute to society. We feel more self-aware and in control as we understand the world around us. All of these feelings of value, connection, and security provide big dopamine hits in the brain, which make us crave more. Maria Montessori introduced us to the concept of Horm. Horm is a Greek spirit personifying a vital energy, eagerness, and effort with an urge for purposeful activity. She argued that children have it as an innate part of their beings. Infants, especially, are natural learners. They're not afraid to make mistakes and are constantly experimenting. This is part of the reason why they can learn new languages and develop motor skills at exponentially faster rates than adults. Their natural curiosity or love of learning hasn't been dampened yet. This love of learning could also be called curiosity. 
and that someone who loves discovering new things will seek out more opportunities for those kinds of experiences. They will ask more questions, read more books, try more experiments with art and science. Having an insatiable hunger to learn will keep them open to new ideas. This will obviously benefit the child in that they will continue to feel great about themselves as they increase their knowledge and skills, but it will also serve the world as they become more proficient in their areas of interest, which will make them feel better about themselves and perpetuate the cycle. So why doesn't everyone love to learn? What stops that curiosity and hunger to know more? Think back to your own education. Remember the times when you felt alive, excited, and eager to learn, like the example I shared earlier? Where were you? What was happening? How did you feel? Now, think of a time when you felt discouraged, defeated, or hopeless in a learning environment, where creativity, curiosity, and critical thinking were punished, but test scores, sitting quietly, and giving rote answers were rewarded. It may have been a time when you were publicly ridiculed, where you put your heart into an assignment only to have it torn apart or fall short in a grade you were expecting. There's actually science now that shows that grades are demotivating for students and hampered learning, but that's a topic for another day. Maybe you just got tired of busy work or nobody ever expecting anything out of you, so you didn't see the point in putting in effort. Perhaps you struggled to understand something, but was too shy or nervous to ask for help and just fell further and further behind until you felt like you could never catch up. And it may not even been that traumatic. You could have just been really excited about a subject and then told to close it up and move on to the next subject that you found less than inspiring. It's likely that after years and years of these experiences, you eventually learned that what they wanted from you at school wasn't your mind, your heart, or your soul, but for you to conform and perform. Once you learned what was expected, you either rebelled against it and had a turbulent experience or slowly lost your soul and followed the rules. Now, I'm not ragging on public school. There are passionate and compassionate teachers out there who sprinkled in pure magic as well. The times you could discover something on your own rather than be lectured to, to connect with your teacher or your classmates over history's tragedies and triumphs, where you were challenged to do better or think more deeply about things and the process discovered who you were, where you were recognized for your talents and contributions and felt valued and important. I will never forget the class we had on the Holocaust, taught by our Jewish teacher as she shared her grandfather's experiences at a concentration camp, or the debate teacher who pulled me aside after I won a speech and told me, that we both know I could have done better. She was the first and the last person who ever expected anything out of me at that high school. But that also meant that she saw my potential and believed I could achieve it. I'm not just waxing nostalgic here. If you pay attention to your experiences or mine, you'll find common threads. When I loved learning was when I was able to experience connection, discover for myself, or express ideas. When I felt defeated was when I was being torn down, judged, or had to stop the flow of interest to go do something entirely uninteresting or frankly unimportant. Can you relate? If we want our children to continue to love learning, we need to learn from our experiences and do better. 
Some of the ways we can cultivate a love of learning are, first, we need to not focus on grades, judgments, and criticism, but look for opportunities to gently guide, correct, and encourage. We need to learn when to recognize effort and when to push them to do more. When they write a paper, what was the purpose? Was it to articulate an idea? Was it to express themselves? Was it copywork, where they're learning the principles of grammar and handwriting? If you wrote a paper and handed it in and were criticized on your spelling, grammar, handwriting, ideas, structure, and are handed the paper back full of red lines, how enthusiastic would you be to write the next time? This is why I focus on one thing at a time. If we are doing copywork, I will correct handwriting. If we are doing a free write to get them comfortable with the idea of putting ideas on a page, then I don't. Here, I may encourage them to write a complete thought or to clarify a message, but I'll leave the penmanship for the penmanship lesson so he doesn't feel completely attacked on all sides. Over time, after we've gone over finishing sentences with punctuation enough times, that I'll correct it outside of the grammar lesson. But I'm mindful of how many corrections I do and what the purpose of the assignment is so that I don't crush him with criticism. It's a hard line to know but it's one to be mindful of. How much critique is helpful and how much is harsh? Even constructive criticism in excess can become destructive. We also need to honor and respect their time, minds, and interests by avoiding busy work and allowing time for them to digest what they've learned, linger in interesting subjects and projects, and help them find the appeal and value in their work. Some kids need to know why. Others are content with the work in front of them and do it without complaint. All kids can spot busy work and it's frankly disrespectful to their minds to make them do it. I know why it exists in public schools. It's a classroom management tool to keep kids occupied while you're doing something else. At home though, what purpose does it serve? It isn't benefiting your child and it's not teaching them time management by letting them waste their time on meaningless tasks. Could they do a quick chore, have a quick break? There are a lot of better uses of their time and their minds than having them persist in work that doesn't add value to their education. Sometimes that work isn't even busy work. Sometimes it's excessive repetition. If they got the first 10 math problems completely correct without error, do they really need to do the next 30 or 40? If they're excited about baking, do they really need to do two hours of reading before they can bake? Or can they do half an hour and then read more while the cake is in the oven? As kids get older, they can work with you to create a plan for their education that serves their rhythms, interests, and desires. You can work with them to see values in subjects that aren't as engaging for them so that they can feel invested in their work. It's also important to create space to think in their schedules. Do they have downtime to digest what they've learned? Some kids need a physical activity to be able to process and absorb their lessons. Next, we need to encourage them to ask questions and think critically even if that means arguing with us or doing things in a radically different ways than we anticipated. Creativity is intelligence having fun, right? We remember when Albert Einstein said that. Innovation takes creativity and creativity is born from playing with ideas. If we want our kids to think outside the box, then we need to encourage them to do that as we have discussions together and give them room to create in their downtime. Today, my kids made invitations to a movie night and created a cardboard version of Jumanji, which to my relief didn't work. <laughs> Through the process, they wanted to create a dome shape for the middle of the game board and found four ways that did not work. 
They had to think critically and be creative, and this was just in their play. Maria Montessori once said, play is the work of children. And through experiences like this, I can see why. They are fed ideas, and when they play, they experiment and test them. Allowing freedom in their schoolwork to attack a problem differently than we would allows them to own their education and teaches them that they have the ability to think through hard problems on their own. It teaches them that their ideas have value and there is more than one way to do something. If after they try their way and fail enough times that they start to feel a little bit discouraged, you can come up beside them and say, would you like a suggestion? And help guide them. Letting the work get a little bit messy and take a little bit more time is a great way to work that critical thinking muscle in a child's mind. Finally, we need to pay attention when they struggle. Is it because they don't understand what's going on? Are they bored? Is one of their physical or emotional needs not being met? So they're just not in a place to learn at that moment? When my youngest gets hungry, no learning is happening until he is fed. And I mean not even for his brothers, because that hangry child will throw down. The benefit of homeschooling is that you can be there when they start to stumble and help them by staying on a subject or looking at it from another perspective until they understand it so that they don't fall behind and feel like a failure. Now that we know what a love of learning is and how to cultivate it, let's take a look at some subjects that are best suited to this end. You can love math or phonics or handwriting. You can love grammar and sentence structure, any of the key skills of learning. But I find that the humanities and sciences are especially suited to developing that lifelong desire to know more. The quest to know the unknowable is as ancient as mankind, and the unquenchable thirst for knowledge was born there. So what are the humanities? Well, I'm glad you asked. The humanities are the study of what it means to be fully human. Let's take a moment to realize how truly beautiful this statement is. The humanities tackle the big questions like, what is the purpose of life? What is justice? What is truth? They are the subjects that put society and culture on display for us to critically analyze and discern. Subjects like history, art, and literature are great avenues to discover some of the core trials and triumphs of the human spirit. But they can also cover subjects like philosophy, religion, and music, expressions of the mind and soul that can be learned, discussed, and experienced. In the humanities, we find ourselves and how to relate to the world around us. We wrestle with the best and the worst of humanity and try to make sense of why people are the way that they are. We feel connected to the history of mankind and look to avoid the atrocities from repeating themselves. We evolve as a species as we reflect on the great works of masters in their respective fields. What is one book that has changed your life? Or a piece or a genre of art that makes you stop and stare every time? Is there a song that speaks to your soul? I think the power behind the humanities is that they take us to a place inside ourselves where we are at our higher selves and stretch us to learn more and understand others in a deeper and more meaningful way. This is why a classical education is rooted in history and literature. This is where the affections of our hearts are set and how our minds are formed. There is a world of discovery in the humanities and no earthly way to cover it all. So how and what we choose to cover in these subjects will influence how our children see the world. 
What core principles or ideas do you want to introduce to your children? Liberty, compassion, justice. There's a story for that. Stories are powerful things. With layers and metaphors, you can say so much more than what is printed on the page. With art, a picture is worth a thousand words. And with music, the melodies can speak straight to the human spirit without words. Lingering in the humanities, you set a feast of ideas before the children and let them see the good and the beautiful in the world around them so that they can learn to love the good and beautiful things and defend against the abhorrent and hateful ideas that have brought past cultures to their knees. Psychology and sociology look directly at the human mind and our interactions with each other from a scientific perspective. I think it's kind of the crossroads between the humanities and the sciences. In fact, science is another incredible way for us to discover our love of learning. And if I'm being honest, it may be my favorite. And I used to love literature and writing and majored in communications in college. So it's really something to say the power and the beauty that I have found in the sciences. The very act of science is discovering our natural world through observation and experience. It is acting on curiosity in the most basic instinctive form by paying attention, pondering, questioning, and testing our ideas. Science is so interactive that we naturally invite you to experience learning firsthand. Discovering these things for yourself, and if you recall, what we discover for ourselves, we own. Okay, so we've got the sciences, we've got the humanities, but where does physical education or skills like sewing, gardening, drafting, and diesel repair come into play? Right here in the love of learning. If you've ever heard the theory of multiple intelligences, you'll know that there is more than one way to be smart and that the modern model of education really only rewards two or three of them. The eight intelligences are mathematical intelligence, linguistic intelligence, musical intelligence, physical intelligence, spatial intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, and intrapersonal intelligence, and natural intelligence. In school, you disproportionately get rewarded for mathematical intelligence and linguistic intelligence. Occasionally, someone with a musical or physical intelligence will stand out, but rarely would someone's connection to the earth, where they instinctively know what to plant, prune, or harvest at any given time, is given a chance to shine. Someone who had an incredible motor skills often don't get their credits until they go on to become skilled artists or surgeons. Insightful people who will later become the world's counselors and therapists aren't recognized for their exceptional perception and empathy. Or the moody brooding types that later go on to become philosophers and writers get no credit for the deep still waters they harbor. Here at home, you can see the whole child, their connection to animals, their precision in the dance steps they perform, their ability to find things. Honestly, I swear my son will grow up to be a treasure hunter, crime scene investigator, or anthropologist because he finds the coolest things literally everywhere we go. And whenever I'm missing the TV remote, he finds it in moments. He also knows when the weather's going to change and what time of day it is based off of the light around him. He's incredible spatial and natural intelligence. At home, he knows his worth and we move forward at his pace with the rest. 
The subjects where a child can come alive with enthusiasm and interest are the subjects that cultivate a love of learning, and they will look different for each child. Giving more time to focus on the things where they are skilled, where they have an interest or a passion, isn't wrong. Not everybody's going to be a great mathematician. There is a certain level of mathematics you need to reach to be able to function in today's society or to be able to progress in your education. But then there's another level of math that you need if you're going to go into a mathematical field or if you have a passion for mathematics. So letting your child accomplish what they need to be doing with their skills of learning and then moving forward, pouring more energy into their passions will serve them better than trying to get everything done all at once and check all of your boxes, especially if you want them to continue living a life where they have that love of learning and are constantly growing as a person. Dorothy Sayer gave an impassioned talk called The Lost Tools of Learning in 1947, calling us back to a classical method of education. It is really thought-provoking, and I would recommend listening to it. In it, she says... For the sole true end of education is simply this, to teach men how to learn for themselves. Once they have the key skills of learning and moral instruction, they are ready to dive into the depths of the human mind and spirit. And it is here, in the love of learning, that they will discover who they are, what their purpose is, and feed the never-ending hunger to know more. It is here that new discoveries will be made that change the world, that moving artwork will be created, and that history will be written in the generations to come. Our job as educators is to protect and guide them so that they can preserve their natural-born curiosity, learn to think critically, and to create new ideas, perspectives, and work in their own time and in their own way to help them discover their purpose, and to learn how to learn anything. A love of learning takes time and patience and introducing them to new ideas and new experiences. As you can see with this series, I really didn't let you off the hook. (laughs) They need phonics and grammar and math. They need history and literature and art. They need science and music and good old-fashioned work. They need to move their bodies and get outdoors each in their own measure. Some children will need more math and science. Some children will need more literature and writing. And some children will need more free time in the wilderness or to jump on the trampoline between subjects. It is your job to know your child. See what makes their eyes sparkle with excitement. See where they need you to come up beside them and support them as they struggle. Get them those key skills of learning so the world is open to them and help them to find their passion by watching what it is that they are drawn to and love. Introduce them to new areas of study. You'll never know if you have the next Bach until you put them in front of a piano. (laughs) Expose them to a feast of ideas so that they reach scholar years in high school or college. They can spend more time focusing on areas of interest, honing their skills and knowledge in areas where they find the most value and meaning personally to them. Do you need to do every subject every day? No, of course not. You don't even need to do every subject every year. As long as they have key skills of learning and are exposed to a variety of ideas that challenge and excite them, they will have everything that they need to be able to learn for themselves 
and perhaps even more importantly, a desire to learn. As always, I thank you for listening. I appreciate your support and your kindness. And until next time, stay curious.